0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You really have to appreciate a preacher who comes wearing a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. That's what John the baptizer was wearing. Harkens back to the great prophet Elijah. You can read in 2 Kings 18, it says that Elijah wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. That's not a coincidence either. But is his outfit really important? Shakespeare wrote, The apparel oft proclaims the man. Does anyone know what play that's from? Any Shakespeare fans out there? That was Lord Polonius. In Hamlet. Yes, the apparel oft proclaims the man. Yeah, the clothing of John the Baptizer does actually tell us something about him. It it does. Um, And also consider that his food was locusts and wild honey. Mmm, yummy. And of course... Every preacher, every good preacher, also being a sage of business, a titan of industry, would know that it's all about location, right? Location, location, location. So, give me a pulpit right in the midst of Jerusalem, the center of the universe. That's where all the people are. That's where we need to preach the message. But not John. No, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Just a brief recap then. John the baptizer is dressed in camel hair. He's eating weird food. He's inhabiting a desert wilderness that is away from everyone. And yet we see, as the text says, that... Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him. Oh, he was popular. People were going to see him. So what sweet words must John have been speaking to them to entice them to come and hear him preach? I mean, after all, the temple is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place, the mountain that God had appointed People were brought up out of the land of Egypt in order to receive the promised land that God swore to their fathers and Jerusalem was at the center of it all. They've endured battles in Jerusalem and finally they suffered utter destruction, but they saw God's mighty hand working in King Cyrus. The Holy Spirit moved in King Cyrus that he said, we will build a house, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so the temple was rebuilt And even in Jesus' day and and John the Baptist's day, the temple had been expanded by Herod. I mean, this is, for all intents and purposes, this Jerusalem and the temple is the center of the universe. So what is it that John was preaching that people said, oh, we got to get out there to hear John preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Gee, I mean, I'll admit that I'm not a marketing genius, but that doesn't sound warm and fuzzy. Repent. John, can't you give me some practical tips for getting through difficult times in my life? That's really what I need. Yeah, repent. That's his advice. Come on, don't you have anything, John, uplifting and encouraging for me? Yeah, The kingdom of heaven comes near. Repent. There's no mistaking it. People were coming from all around. We read that they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, Just a brief footnote, them being baptized in the river Jordan does not mean immersion. Just to be clear, in case someone wants to make an argument for that, that's not at all what it means. Baptism was a ceremonial washing. It could be done in the river because there's water there. But but there were also baptisms done everywhere where there was water. It's just a, a ritual washing. If you want to talk more about it, we'll talk after the service. I don't want anyone to be confused about that. But notice that they were confessing their sins as they received the baptism of repentance. These are people that are coming to John who have been cut to the heart by their sin. The lack of righteousness that they have, they know. They see it. And all believers understand this because we are sorry for our sins. We actually don't want to hear someone say, oh, it's okay, you tried your best. That's not, that doesn't fill us up. We know that it's false. We know that we didn't try our best. We know that we failed. So don't humor me by just telling me what you think I want to hear. Give me the straight scoop. And that's what John is doing. He's preaching repentance. Hopefully you can now see a clearer picture of John the baptizer. Simply put, he's not messing around and he's not playing at something. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. That's what John is dealing with here. You know the law that's written on your heart. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. And you here in this sanctuary, you know those laws because they're written on your heart and you know more. Because we have it in God's word. And yet, we do fall short. Just this week, I'll pick on myself, because I I pick on my family already enough as it is, so I'll just pick on myself. Just this week, I was savagely and brutally cut off on the interstate. I know. Now, see, I'm probably... I'm probably kindling anger in your hearts now because you can't believe that your pastor would be treated this way. Anyway, no, I was, I was cut off. But I got, in all seriousness, in my heart, I was murdering that driver. I had never seen them. I don't, I don't know what they looked like. They were going too fast. I couldn't tell you anything about them. I can't even remember what kind of car it was. Honda, maybe? Anyway, in my heart, I was murdering them. I was so angry. I don't know anything about them. All I know was my anger and seeing red. See, that makes me guilty. That makes me, me. Oh, I'm not just the victim. I am the, the lawbreaker here because my heart is the one that produced that anger. And that makes me a transgressor of God's law. Now, mind you, this is but one example. I have probably one or two others, too, of areas where I have sinned. And I know you do, too. I'm sure of it. But sin is serious and God's law is serious. Jesus said, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are the demands of the law. You must be perfect. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does this sound like good news or glad tidings? Is this what people came to church, come to church to hear? Repent? Actually, the answer is yes. That's what you should come to church to hear. Don't come here to hear that you are just fine all by yourself. God help me to never, ever, ever let you feel complacent in yourselves, as though you plus your good deeds are the ticket to eternal life. You've come here to confront your sin, to confess your sin, and to receive life. That's what the people went to John the Baptist for. They weren't messing around. They understood their sin condition, they came to confess, to repent, and to receive eternal life. But not everyone, not everyone did. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came also, but they were not repentant. They came to see what all the fuss was about. What's going on out there in the wilderness? There seems to be a following going after John. What's he doing? And thus John's stern rebuke. You brood of vipers. Oof. It's not very nice, is it? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Yeah, indeed, God has raised children from stones. This is actually a very fitting picture for you and for me. Our, our hearts, which were like stone, God has adopted. Each one of you is a stone which God has adopted and made a child of Abraham and made God's beloved child. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not coming to the baptism of John and to his preaching out of repentance Uh, These are two different groups. We talked a little bit about that last week, I think it was. Sadducees seemed interested only in political power. They denied the resurrection. uh, They denied eternal life. They denied angels and so forth. Basically, they were skeptics, kind of like modern-day liberal Christians. Pharisees, on the other hand, were very religious. They, They followed the rules. They prayed and they fasted at the appointed times. Surely they were righteous, or so they thought. But Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The point is that neither of these groups came in repentance. They are children of Abraham, they say. We're children of Abraham. (laughs) What do we need with John the Baptist what do we need with this baptism of repentance? I'm a child of Abraham, and I'm proud of that. That's, that's the way they were coming. And John said, not so fast, buddy. We just read in our Sunday school lesson today from Malachi, and uh, at the very end, the second to last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Jesus told us, you can read this in Matthew 11. If you are willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. That is the prophetic office that John the baptizer was filling. And listen to John's words at the end of our lesson from today. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's verse 11 and verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. See, John baptized with water But Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with a purifying fire, a fire that cleanses us from all sin. Don't misunderstand this lesson, I mean, this uh, first verse 11, as referring to judgment. When John said, um, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's not a fire of judgment. There is a fire of judgment. But fire can also be used to purify. And actually, the word that is used there for fire uh, can be, could be rendered uh, purge or, or, or purify. Um, for example, you would take silver or gold, a precious metal, and you would melt it down in the fire, and that would separate the impurities, and then you could remove the impurities. So fire is used in many places to have that, that quality. Um, Malachi 3 but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So here Malachi uh, in chapter three presents a refiner's fire. Zechariah does the same thing. Um, And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one who refines silver. Um, Isaiah 6, think about uh, Isaiah before uh, the seraphim. One of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here again, here's fire that has a purifying effect. Verse 12, on the other hand, is not a purifying fire. Well, it's purifying in the sense that it's removing sin, uh, where it's judging sin. Verse 12 speaks of eternal judgment. And you'll notice the words from verse 12. It is unquenchable. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. The chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what you do in a threshing floor is break apart the wheat and the chaff and they separate. And the wheat is what you want to save and the wheat is heavier. So you take a winnowing fork and you pick up the whole scoop and you toss it up into the air. And what happens? The wheat lands, the grains fall and the chaff gets blown and, and scatters. And you gather up that chaff and you burn it. But... If this was talking about annihilation, then it wouldn't be an unquenchable fire. See, this rules out the idea that there is no eternal hell. John is saying that there is an eternal hell and that it is an unquenchable fire. We come back to John's preaching Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, maybe this doesn't sound like good news. But it is good news. It absolutely is good news. That judgment is coming. And we are sinful. There's no mistaking that. But this is good news. Glad tidings. Because Jesus Christ comes. The Messiah comes to work forgiveness. To give forgiveness. To atone for your sins. And that is the good news. That's what Elijah or John the Baptist is here to tell. This word repentance too, I have to clarify because sometimes we think of repentance as just to turn away from sin. That is true, that is one aspect, but here it has more the force of turning from unbelief to belief. Repent of your unbelief. And believe. We are blessed. Jesus comes to us. Right here in the sacrament that we receive. That we come to him and believe his very words. For the forgiveness of your sins. We're not playing at this. This is serious. Sin is serious and our sinful condition is serious. But the free grace that God gives us is effective and powerful and comes to us in this sacrament. In your baptisms, which you remember every time you make the sign of the cross. We remember, I'm baptized, Satan. Drop your ugly accusations. You're right about me, but you're wrong about my Savior. I'm baptized. Each of you stands in, the, in your baptism, having received the Holy Spirit, having received the promise of eternal life. Trust that promise. God cannot lie. In Christ, all of your sins have been washed away. You're forgiven and are destined for eternal life in Christ. Do not turn away from the gift that God gives, but receive it in faith. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.